And we're live with our 140th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We're excited to be here again. We're excited to have Naomi joining us. Uh, we'll do introductions uh, shortly with her. Uh, as always, um, please join our Slack channel or hit us up in the YouTube comments as we stream today if you have any questions for us. Uh, there are a couple of things that I did want to mention. Um, if you're following Twitter, you probably did see we are going to be, or you've been listening, you, we are going to be training at Black Hat this year. That is a virtual training, um, but we are doing our secure code review training. If you are interested, reach out, sign up. Um, if you have questions about the course, please, please, uh, you know, jump on one of the communications channel and let us know what, what questions you have about it. Um, outside of that, uh, we are starting to cut up some of the shows and produce smaller uh, videos on distinct topics in application security. So if you are interested in having a shorter video or a shorter snippet of a specific topic, please let us know. Uh, we'll probably try and do some deeper dives into those topics, depending on the interest level and who's out there. Um, outside of that, Ken, I don't think I have anything else on my list for announcements today, unless you do. Besides how, how to use a mute button, because apparently he, he has forgotten once again. Uh, yeah, I forgot how to use yeah, yeah, the internet that's again. Fine. That's fine. No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, nothing to, uh, nothing to announce on my end. Um, other than I still Good. owe mailing out of swag that's fine <laughs> well at, at that point let's let's talk to naomi naomi thank you for joining us today thank you guys we're, yes thank yeah. you yeah, so much appreciated. <laughs> yes um i i know you've been i i mean you were a part of oh was it midwinter nights con yes. i believe or midsummer yes and that was uh, that was awesome we'll, we'll post up the video here shortly uh from that talk as well um, but I, I, we just wanted to get to know you really quick, uh, you know, initially, right? Like who is Naomi, right? How did you get into application security? Um, you've been, I, I know it's like on your, your LinkedIn page, you're at, you know, uh, director of information security. I think you're a CISO. Is that your official title now? Not uh, official title, but that is essentially what I do. Yeah. Okay. Not official title. All right. Director of information security. There you go. Um, and I know we like we all kind of bounce around there back and forth, but let, let's talk specifically application security. I know you started as a developer at one point. Yes, I was. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your background, how you got into application security, what interested you in it, and we'll go from there. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think like every other nerd out there, I just was never good with people. And so okay. I, uh, at a very young age, just gravitated towards tech. And I remember taking apart like a VCR. I know I'm old, uh, putting it back together again and possibly breaking it. I don't remember if it actually worked afterwards, but I just kind of have these like lots of little stories in my life where I've just always been uh, handy with technology. I'm never scared of it or anything. I was never told that women or girls can't do technology. I was always just treated like anyone else. And I uh, went to college because I liked computers. I went to an engineering school called Stevens Institute of Technology, a really small school in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I majored in computer engineering, monitored in math, uh, did a bunch of little like and software engineering things out there, and then uh, promptly got a job in software engineering at a company called Vanguard. 
And here's the thing, as a computer engineering major, I had no idea the difference between computer engineering and software engineering. Like I had no idea. Uh, so I think school failed me completely. Like I, I remember doing, like putting together circuit boards and like doing all these electrical engineering things. And I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, this is fun. And then promptly got a job doing Lotus Notes. Like that was, that was my first job doing freaking Lotus Notes, client server technology from IBM thing. I got bought out by IBM and it's just like the most terrible like UI interface, everything. But I, I got my chops in doing kind of just basic visual, basic stuff. Uh, I think there was a, what else did they use? There was like something called formula language. Just wrap my head around like, you know, serving a business client and getting requirements and doing all the basic software engineering thing, but literally had no idea the difference between computer engineering and software engineering until I started doing more programming. I'm like, okay, all right, I think I can do this for a little bit. Although I've always wanted to do more hardware. Anyway, ended up in the software world. About five years or four, three, four years in, I started hearing more about security and there is a program at Vanguard called the Security Champions Program. So I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting. So I did Security Champions for a little bit, and I kind of just did risk management for, for my team. And uh, it, was, it was pretty basic, vulnerability management for application security vulnerabilities. And I was like, all right, I want to do more. So I took a training class in hacking. And that's when I was introduced to like the world of penetration testing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I had no idea. Like, I had no idea. I did SQL injection, you know, cross-site scripting, all the fun things. And I was just like, this is the thing that I want to do. So that was about five years into it. I took a, clock, a hacking course. And then I went up to the manager of the uh, pen testing team. I was like, hey, uh, I need to be on your team. Like, what's gonna, what is it going to take? And the man, uh, his name was Tony. He was like, well, we don't have any positions open, so go away. And I was like, oh, well, I won't. <laughs> so I just kept going back to him. Literally every month or so, I said, when can I join your team? Uh, how about now? How about now? How about now? And I think he got so annoyed with me that he actually ended up offering me a role. So he gave me a chance. He There was a position open for a senior level um, application security engineer, but I was so annoying. He actually changed it just for me. He, he lowered it from a senior level to down to a junior. So I joined their team as a junior level application security engineer, and I just learned the ropes. I actually sat next to some really huge industry giants. Uh, Jeff Williams from OWASP, he started uh, OWASP. Uh, the team members over at um, Contrast Security, they're the ones uh, kind of before them, they were called, uh, what was it called? I forget, it starts with an A. But they had their own consultancy. So I, I sat next to them. I learned the, the principles of application security. I learned how to apply in a risk Aspect. management framework. Uh, yes. Yeah. Aspect security, thank yep. you. So I worked with them, um, sat along uh, the you know the future CISO of Twitter, Michael Coates. Like I learned, I learned from some really industry giants and um, forever Those grateful. Just some big names. There's some, yeah. uh, I'm not, I'm, and then uh, the chief scientist over at uh, is Qualys. Remember, he had a very he 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 was one of the ones that I did a training course with. Like I learned from him. Like I literally sat in a course where they were teaching us all this stuff. So very grateful to have that opportunity. Um, and just being introduced to that world. And it was funny because while I was there at Vanguard, you know, hearing about all the different things in OWASP and everything. And then when I left Vanguard, it was literally like maybe 10 years later. I'm like, yeah, I know Jeff Williams. Doesn't everyone? Like, it was just more of like, <laughs> like uh, doesn't everyone know? Like, it was weird. Like, in my mind, my world was so small. I didn't know how big and important they actually were until I left. I was like, oh, you're kind of a big deal. Jeez. Uh, so I was never really kind of a 
scared of any of the like the giants because I didn't know any better. It was more like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, they're cool. They come every weekend. We hang out, you know, like we go out to dinner. Like it was like not even a big deal. So I was very lucky and grateful. I'm very grateful to be exposed to that kind of level of of thinking. And uh, and they were always so welcome. I think that was something I always took away from that. Um, even though I had the very elitist mindset of only a specific type of intellectual can be an application security engineer, you know, it's very, very elitist back in the day. They were always very kind and, and they never treated me like a noob, right? Like sometimes we see in the industry is like a lot of toxicity and a lot of like, oh, you're not lead enough. And oh, you, you don't have any CVEs. Oh, we can't talk to you. You know, like yeah. I was never treated that way. And I, 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 it took me a really long time to get out of the mindset of, you need to be a specific smart in order to do this job. You know, like I think like every other gatekeeper that I do see in the industry is like, we do have this, this ego where um, I think one of the core values in, I think like there's five core values in like your human, human life. And one of them is just, you need, you need to feel relevant and you need to feel appreciated and you need to feel important. And a lot of what we do is driven by that core need. And I'm talking about it's very basic. It's like, hey, I want to be important. Therefore, you see all the social media stuff like, oh, it's about the number of likes or the amount of comments and about whatever. And so you get this feeling of like, oh, I'm important. People like me and people care about me. And that's a very core human need. And um, that was something that I thought was important enough for me to push other people down. You know what I mean? So I, I feel very, very sad about that time in my life where I was a gatekeeper and that I was treating people poorly because I felt like I was intellectually superior or however it was. And it, it's yeah. taken me such a long time to get past that where the more I actually know, the more I know I don't know, right? Like I've never met anyone who is an expert in anything and they and they say they know everything. I have never met anyone like that. Even even when I was working with the, the con, um, not contrast security, the um, aspect guys, you know, never were they like, oh, I know everything, right? They knew it was a journey. They knew it was a group effort. And so when they started OWASP, I mean, it's the open web application security project. I, like everybody contributes. And you take a look at it now and it's just it's just amazing. You're just like, wow, all that work that went into it and all the, the group effort that went into it. It's never just a single person. Um, I know this is kind of like just a long way of telling my story. But right now where I'm kind of trying to fight for the, the community is, I, I don't understand. Actually, no, I, I'm sorry. I do understand where I came from because that's where I think a lot of people are right now. We're still sucking this mindset of we can only do this if we are a certain type of person or that we have a certain background or a certain educational level or a certain way of thinking. And I think we need to break out of that because a lot of the resources and the guides and the, the group projects are out there for people to consume. And if you think about it this way, aren't we doing ourselves a disservice if we aren't making application security or security in general, if we aren't making it more acceptable and easy to get into it? Why are we making it as hard as it was 20 years ago? Shouldn't it be a lot easier? Haven't we evolved to the point where anyone should be able to get into security? We don't yeah. need all these intellects and these brains anymore because they've paved the way we're standing on the shoulders of giants at this point a lot of the the work has been done think of the the protocols the security white papers the control frameworks all the different things that are out there we can use now because it's a one google search away like it's literally like 
let's Google this. And and when here's another thing, and I'll just keep talking until you guys stop me. But <laughs> you're good. Go on. I'm just gonna keep going, guys. Uh, but we get compared to the medical industry a lot. Like, well, we're just like doctors. Would you want a doctor that just came off the streets to you know you know do surgery on you or whatever? Like, first of all, that's wrong. We're not as good as doctors. We're not as nearly as important as doctors, even though some people like to think that we are. But um, you know, dad is not the exact same thing as your health, no, but I'm not saving like, anyone's life. I promise. Not saving anyone's <laughs> life, at least not yet. Like let's, let's get there. Like hopefully, okay. but for doctors, they actually use Google. So here's Dr. Yeah. My point. Doctors use Google all the time. Uh, and there's not a huge percentage of doctors that are constantly researching and discovering new things and think about all the new diseases and stuff. Like a majority of the doctors are practitioners, just like a majority of cybersecurity professionals are practitioners. I am one of them. I don't go out there doing research. You know, if I find a vulnerability or whatever, I will responsibly disclose it, but I won't go into it so deeply that I'm like down at the bits and the bites, and I'll be like, this is exactly what's happening, right? Like, I don't want to do that. Uh, I did penetration testing for a little bit, enough to know that it's not something I want to do full time, and I'd rather be on the blue team. I'd rather yeah. defend. So there, there's a many, many of us. I, I don't know a, a great percentage, but I would certainly venture to guess like upwards of 80, 90% of us are just practitioners using the models and the frameworks and the protocols that other people have created for us. So why don't we let more people in? Because anyone can learn this stuff. It just takes a little bit of time. It takes the right environment to fail safely. It takes the right teacher and it takes the right type of student. And when I've worked through, so I've talked to so many, I'm talking like dozens, if not over a hundred at this point, like people trying to break into cybersecurity and they're all so talented. They're so smart. And you're just like, I wasn't anywhere close to where you are. And you've just been doing this for a few months. So I'll tell you something right now. Um, in about a couple of hours, my intern, Jessica, will be taking her Security Plus exam. Uh, and mm -hmm. she's only been doing security for two months. We literally hired her because she has no experience in technology. She comes from a professional opera singing background. She's an opera singer. She currently is an opera singer. Like, and because of the pandemic, opera, all the opera places have closed down, right? There's no place to sing. And so uh, in order to feed herself, because she's not a fan of starvation, she decided to kind of like look around and see what else. And she came to this thing. She's like, you know, I kind of like tech. And uh, she taught herself how to code HTML, CSS, um, and, and, you know, basic kind of JavaScript. And she was like, hey, I want to do more of this. So uh, when my internship opened, uh, we posted it on all the like d random Facebook groups that we can find. And one of them was like an opera singing Facebook group. We're like, hey, we have an internship open. Would you like to apply? I literally only targeted people who had no technical experience because I know it's possible. So I was looking for somebody with a different way of thinking, a different way of just you know bringing about um, solving solution, solving problems, bringing different ways of thinking for that. So uh, the ability to critically think, the ability to communicate, the ability to just like match patterns and 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 like find a problem here and then realize like oh this is ma this matches this problem in a previous solution let me just apply that so long story short if she passes a security plus today we will be making her a full time offer to be an entry level security engineer or a security analyst so uh, best of luck to you Jessica your I know your test is in a couple hours so uh, I'm really just hoping for some great news there because she's only been doing this for two months but she has been just knocking it out of the park understanding yeah. how technology plays together and, and it's really just like a acronyms at, at the end of the day like you just kind of have to make 
these patterns, these connections. And she's able to do that. She's like, oh, OSI model, I know exactly what that is. Uh, each level, I know exactly what that is. Each layer, I know exactly what that is. And she can put those things together because she's smart enough. And I think a lot of us, a lot of the people trying to break in are smart enough. But people in my shoes, like the hiring managers, our cohort, the older generation, the gray beards, we kind of see it the opposite. We're like, oh, since you didn't have the five years of help desk experience or the 10 years of a networking experience, like you can't do this job, which is completely untrue. If you take a look at the NIST, nice security, like um, career pathing thing, I think it was like there's seven groups of security roles and there's like 33 different specialties or 53 different specialties or something like that, or 32 different types of rules. There's just so many things other than pen testing, and, yeah. right? Like there's so much out there. And so here's what I'm thinking with Jessica. She's already written her IT security playbooks starting from week one. She already had created a couple of them. And there's return on investment from day one. And you don't need five years of experience in the CISSP and a master's degree in cybersecurity in order to do any of this. Like mm -hmm. I, I ask you guys, and I've been talking for like the past 20 minutes. So I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Like if you can tell me right now, give me one role that requires other than security leadership. Cause I do believe that it does require some level of experience. Right. But give me a role in cybersecurity that, that requires a CISSP that requires five years experience or a master's in cybersecurity. I will give you, I don't know. I'll give you a high five. I'll give you a virtual high five. A virtual high five. No, I, I mean, I, I think, think you're absolutely, absolutely right. right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Ken. I, um, but I, I can't think of any, does it like most of the people that I deal with that I'm surprised about that are finding, even in like deep research, finding CVEs and other things probably don't have a CISP. They probably have a background that was unexpected. They may have programmed at some point or they may have, you know, they've gotten into te technology somehow, but it won't necessarily be, hey, I've been a security engineer or a network security engineer for five years. I passed my CISP. They may have those because a job required them to get it at some point, but it wasn't the reason that they got into the industry, right? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Ken, right? what were you going to say? Oh no, I was trying to understand like, you're right, there, there has been a change, but I don't, um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on why we'll say in the last 10 or 11 years, we have shifted from a mentality of like, you know, I think most of us, uh, like you said, we looked at each other's research to sort of, and like whatever thing, whatever things you put out, we, we would usually judge you um, pretty harshly on, on that. And we, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to like phrase this, but yeah, you're right. It, it was, it was, I don't know if it was gatekeeping or if it was just like, um, yeah, it was definitely a smaller community with like really high stand. Not, I shouldn't say high standards that, 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 that makes it sound like there aren't high standards now, but I don't really know how to say this, but it was just, it was a lot more difficult. I feel it like to, I, I think, it, I think we only hit on it. I don't know why. It was ego driven, right? Like yeah. it was, hey, if if someone else can come into this without the same experience that I have and do it well, then I'm not top, right? Or I'm not the right. best or like, and, and I did, I, I mean, I, I go back to those early days going to DEF CON and Black Hat and that was definitely the fill, right? There was, okay, there's the top class security people 
And then, oh, you're just going to Black Hat or you're just going to DEF CON because you're a script kitty and you can't really do security, right? That that was, that that has been the fill for years. We've broken that down a bit. And I think it's part of being inclusive and recognizing that those talents come from everywhere and not just a, a specific path. But it, I mean, that, that goes back to what Naomi was saying about kind of that gatekeeping that it still goes on, right? And I think all of us go through that transition as far as, hey, we want to feel important. We want to be a part of the industry and feel like we can be leaders or whatever. But then the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know, right? Like, uh, you know, go go read some code on, you know, cryptocurrency and go talk to the cryptography guys that are the high level math geeks. And you'll realize, all right, you know, I barely scratched that surface. There's experts everywhere. And I, uh, you know, I'm lucky to be in the position that I am, right? So, I mean, do you think that's that's part of it is that the people who um, were in the industry 10 or 11 years ago have changed their mentality? Do you think it's the ubiquity of the information available and the communication and frankly, like it's the, the internet accessibility right? too, the accessibility yeah. to people you um, <clears throat> so I, wouldn't I, normally expect? Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I, I shouldn't have interrupted. No, but, no, no, no. I actually yeah. am interested in your opinion, so I'm going to shut up and listen to oh, you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, here comes another 20-minute rant now. Um, <laughs> oh, no, yeah. That's good. <laughs> so so here's the thing. Like, cybersecurity has evolved. It's beyond just network security and pen testing and, like, kind of the very technical things. It requires more of a more br- a business approach where it's, like, what's the purpose of cybersecurity? It's to protect the CIA of business systems and data uh, and, and other things. There's, like, risk management involved in that. But like the very basic definition of security is protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of systems and data. But but what does that actually mean? That means if the business doesn't exist, if there are no systems and data, you don't need security. So like think about security as a support industry. We won't exist without the business. Like, yeah, we can do product security and we can like, you know, do things that make money. But in general, we are a cost center and a lot of people in security forget about that. And so if you think about how security has evolved over the years, we are no longer just supporting the availability or the confidentiality of like one or two systems, but we are now spread throughout the entire business where we need to help prevent security things, bad things from happening throughout all different like little hidden pieces of the business. And security can be uh, done by anyone and it should be done by anyone. That's the thing. It's not just technical anymore. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, you know, anybody in our business can do their own like uh, software purchasing. I know we're trying to work on this, but like, uh, you know, so, so one of our teams actually wanted to purchase some software to do, uh, I think it was like voice over IP stuff. And it was, uh, it was okay, you know, but they also went through the security rigmarole of asking all the right security questions and bringing in the security team at the right time. And they ended up finding the right tool because um, it, it was a perfect fit. It was like great functionality, it checked off all the security things, but they were smart enough to realize like, here's some resources that we do need. Does it fit our needs for the business and also for the security that we need for our company? And yes, Good. That's that's exactly what we want to see here. We don't want the security team centralizing all the security activities and doing all the security things and being a roadblock for everyone else. We want security done throughout the business. We want other people in the the business teams who are not fully technical, but can understand it in a way where they can still apply security principles 
to their jobs. And I think that's what's kind of missing from the cohort, like the graybeards, the older folks. Yeah. We don't understand that it's not just technical anymore. It is more than just the technical stuff that it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that kind of goes back to socializing security, right. Or, you know, spreading it out throughout, you know, every it's, it's everybody's job. It's not just the security team's job. Cause I, I mean, I think, you know, you've been around long enough, you've been in positions where you, you walk into an organization and you ask a developer about security and they, they, Oh, well, we don't worry about that. That's the security team's job. Right. Um, and we have a firewall in place, so that's all we need, right? So rather than, you know, and and it, to their to their credit, right, security is hard. And if you haven't ever thought about those topics or been introduced to them, why are you worried about it when you have 100 different bug requests and feature requests that you have to take care of? Um, it's just not something that's going to pop up. So it, it naturally needs to be spread out through a, throughout an organization. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, right? I, I just basically, yeah. Ken, I do have at? another. No, I have a question about. I want. I did want to back up real quick before we go forward uh, okay. to the uh, security champions work that you did, because um, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I, I that seemed interesting because it sounded like part of your first entry into security was this security, meaning like it sounds like you were a developer who was the security advocate for the development team and was a security champion as we often call it. So I guess I want to go back to that and ask a few questions. N number one, like how did that, how, 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 what were the successes and what were the failures or things that could have been done better with your security champion program? I bring this up only because we have, we're on our 140th episode. We've had a lot of conversations about security champions. Some people have negative experiences with this, these types of programs. Some folks have amazing results. And I'm just curious, like, you know, if you can think back to things that you thought went well with being a security champion. Um, and by the way, one of the most awesome outcomes, I think, for a security champion is to, to end up in the field the abs the absec field. I think that's like a, a really huge success. But yeah, I'm just curious, like if you have any thoughts on what could be done better, what went well, things like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm creating a security champions program now here at Beam. I've only been here for five months, but it's uh, building an appsec program from scratch is one of the things that I've been tasked to do. And part of that is building a security champions program. And this is how we're doing it. I'm just generating interest at this point. Like, let me tease out the people who are kind of interested in security. Like, let me take a look at the developers. Have any of them worked on security stories in the past? Have they closed out security vulnerabilities? Do they show me that there are security vulnerabilities? Like, are they the eyes and ears of the security team already. And those are very natural fits for our security champions program. So finding the right people is always like goal number one. I never want to press upon a developer, uh, like a scrum team and be like, hey, I need one security champion from each scrum team. Like, that's it. Like, that, that's a terrible directive. I'd rather just find someone with interest who already wants to be in security or at least wants to, to do security better. Because I think in general, developers would like to do security. They just don't really know how. They don't really have the right guidelines or requirements and they don't have the training for it. And that's where the security team can come in is provide that guidance and the requirements and the and opportunities for training and then leveling everyone up at the same time. So part of the security program I'm building now is one, finding the right people, two, sending them to the right training. So we actually just brought in our first 
um, like Hackalong, folks over at ISC, the independent security evaluators. I think um, was this Ted Harrington wrote a book about hackable. Oh, here it is, copy of it. I know. I don't know if you get. I know you're, not, you're vendor agnostic, but you know it's a really good book. Talks nice. about how to, to write application security done right. So we're basing our application security program on this, but for a security champions program, getting people interested in ways like a hackathon or a hackalog, give them kind of like, here's how security can be done in your jobs. And isn't that really interesting? Like, like find ways of where, of finding security where they are and, and like, like meeting them where they are, like as a developer and then being like, and here's how we can do security better. Because if we don't do this, here are some repercussions, you know, and here, here are some of the threats that are out there. You could show them how easy it is to do, uh, you know, C-surf and cross-site scripting and stuff like that. And once you show them that, and this is literally that light bulb moment in my own life where I'm like, whoa, you know, cross-site scripting or SQL injection, like, wow, that was really cool. So I literally did the same thing. I brought in ISE to do a hack along, a three hour course. I had like 29 people uh, out of like the 50 or so developers. I had 29 people sign up and we did a hack along together and we had fun with it. We had prizes. We did challenges. It's like, it's basically like a uh, capture the flag basically. And you just go around, you're trying to hack all the things. And at the same time, watching the professionals do it over at ISC and just hacking along with them. And so generating that interest was kind of that first round. They're like, I wonder who's going to even show up to this training. And then I'm going to hit you up for some more like, hey, do you want to do more of this? Here's some more stuff that I can send you to. And here's some more things you can help me with. And that's literally what my plan is. It's getting the interest, finding the right people, and then being like, what else can we do together? Because this is all a journey. It's like application security is literally like not us versus them. It's not a security versus the developers. It's literally like together. I think the hot new term is DevSecOps, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've shifting, got all the, left. shifting all the things left. So, so once the developers are on board with it, then that's when you, when the magic happens and you're like, okay, now you own the security. I'm just here at the end of the CI CD pipeline. I'll just be like, I just want to make sure security is done right. So you as a security professional are there to audit at the end. Yes, you're going to level up security and give them the tools and the training and the resources in the beginning. But as your security, uh, sorry, as your developers are getting better at security and they're just going to iterate and get better and better and better, you're going to see the results of that at the end. So at the end, you should see fewer vulnerabilities in production. You should see um, better functionality tests for security, security unit tests. You should see all those uh, as you know, evidence of security actually happening. You should see uh, security in the architecture diagrams if they do make them. <laughs> you know, sometimes they don't. But if you, no. if they're creating architecture diagrams, it should show security controls in all the different places, and they should be including the security team as part of those architecture uh, discussions. So, one of my personal and favorite metrics is when the security team is actually invited into the design meetings and like uh, the pitch that sessions where you shape up here. Sorry, I, I have to interrupt just because yeah. this is exactly what we are aiming for that specifically what you're saying, which is early on in the design phase and especially in the design of the architecture. That's for us as we start to look to launch a security, we're calling it partners program. It's the same thing. That's actually our huge, our like biggest goal is to get to that point in the development. So anyways, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, that, it's okay. I just, it's okay. Like, plus two thumbs up plus a million. Yes. That's like no, it's exactly actually what. It's actually like a, a metric where I'm using to measure the success of the security champions program. It's like how many security activities are happening in general and, and what percentage of those are happening early on in the life cycle. So you've got your design and, and we call them pitch sessions. So like our security 
stories, we don't use Scrum here, uh, how, you know, security stories are being pitched at the beginning. Like, uh, you know, like uh, I think the agile term is like how many security stuff are in your backlog, right? Like how many security stories are in your backlog? It's kind of the same thing with ShapeUp uh, popularized by DHH which I'm not a big fan of, by the way. I don't know if you are, but like, I'm like, first <laughs> I, I of all, as a tangent. <laughs> first of all, do you mean DHH the person? Or, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, no, sorry, okay. yeah. I, okay, 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 I, sorry. Random tangent, but uh, I don't understand Basecamp as like a software. Like I understand that they're like popular for certain reasons, but like as a software, I think I'm being gas gaslit because I, I look at their software, I'm like, it's it's, objectively terrible right like i don't understand why people <laughs> like it so much anyway that's a random sorry bringing bringing no, this back no, on track no that, that is that is to be that, fair that's going to be the tagline for the episode oh my Naomi. god i'm just talking so fast now <laughs> is purposefully uh, no, no no i think like dhh is very polarizing purposefully oh. and people have very strong opinions and I definitely have not always been the biggest. I, there are things. So like I have the rework book and I know Seth and I have read that. Um, I think there's like two other books that I know of that I, I can't even remember what their name, but I've, I've read, I've read at least two books by the base camp folks. I think they've got at least three or more that are pretty good on like productivity related, um, uh, you know, yeah, it's mostly like how to how to run a company of their specific size of, you know, their, yes. their thoughts and all that, <laughs> which I think there are some gems and some nuggets yeah, out of those books absolutely. for sure. Yeah. However, <laughs> I can separate good advice or at least an interesting perspective from mm -hmm. that. And yeah, like I definitely have had a lot of personal disagreements, uh, you know, looking at what DHH has. Uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I really thought I was yeah, being yeah. like gaslit or something. I was yeah, just like. Yeah. This is terrible, right? Basecamp is terrible, right? Like it's just well, not a great software. Yeah, I mean, and they killed off like Campfire was pretty. What's interesting is that Campfire was actually the precursor to Slack, and people were using it, and it actually had some like some good things to it. And then they killed off the product to focus oh. on Basecamp. Oh, that's yeah. Too so, yeah. It's, it, anyways. I, Anyway, oh, so earlier on in the life scale, uh, we use ShapeUp, which is also popularized by DHH. Although I like ShapeUp. It's actually not that bad. Think of it as like longer sprint cycles. So instead of like your two or three week sprints, it's literally like eight weeks where you can actually cool down and have a breath at, at the end of every sprint. You're like, oh, we can test things, you know, like, oh, we can have, uh, you know rollouts that actually make sense. Um, so we use shape up and it's good. So within the shape up cycle, each cycle is six to eight weeks. We have two weeks for cool down. So six weeks of development in those two weeks of cool down, we actually pitch for the next cycle. And so how many of, how many of the pitches include security or how many of the pitches are security pitches, which are really interesting. So you start seeing more and more of that. And you're like, now there's a section within the pitch itself about security requirements or security considerations, right? Like things we need to watch out for, possible tech debt, all these things should be listed. And that's kind of the, the beauty of the Security Champions program is you'll see more and more of that as time goes on, at least if you're doing this right, your security champions will now be the eyes and ears of the security team who are advocating for good security on your behalf. And you no longer have to be that person being like, I am now your parent. I am now your teacher. I need to tell you to do security, blah, blah, blah. And you're standing over them with like this ruler and you're like trying to bash them over the head with security. Meanwhile, the developers are like, go away. You're embarrassing and you're also annoying and you also suck because you don't know anything about tech stack leave us alone and here's another thing like when i was a developer i actually 
I was exhausted with learning all the different JavaScript frameworks, right? Like all the different things. I eventually, uh, my, my last tech stack that I did, I did Angular JS. I used, I know, don't laugh, uh, Java MVC. Like this is literally the material I used with like an Oracle backend. Like th that was my last tech stack. I never got into Python. I never got into like all these crazy things that we have now in Ruby. Like I never did .NET. Like all of these things are so many people and developers are just so flexible and they're so smart. And that's what security people don't get. Security people don't normally come from an AppSec background. Like a majority of cybersecurity professionals come from like an IT background, a peer help desk background, or a peer networking background. Not a lot of us come from an AppSec background. And so when we actually try to talk to developers, the developers are like, eh, go away. Like you don't speak our language. We think you suck because you don't understand tech at all at our level. And a lot of the security professionals kind of like, don't believe that because in their head, they're like, we're the smartest people in the room. We absolutely know everything there is to know about the OWASP top 10, even though we can write code to save our life, right? Like yeah. that, that to me is so cringy. And uh, we need to remind ourselves that the people that we serve who are the developers, the DevOps people and the engineers, they're way smarter than we ever will be in their tech stack. They are the king of the castle. Like we are their only their jesters and guests. Like we are here to help them get over any security hurdles and to see any kind of like roadblocks in the way and then give them good security advice. We're not supposed to be there and be like, you're going to have to architect this a whole different way. Like, I'm sorry, guys, you're gonna have to come in and rip this apart because we're the only ones who can tell you what security architecture looks like. It's like, no, actually, that's totally wrong. And I actually read this tweet once. I, I've been trying to find it, but I think it's deleted. But the tweet went something like this. It was like, why do security professionals treat us so poorly, us being developers? We are their gods, we as developers, because we can introduce security vulnerabilities at any time. We can get them fired. Right? Like, why are security professionals so smug? We're the ones you can get them fired at any time. And like when I read that tweet, I was so, so, so sad. And I wish I took a screenshot of it. Because to me, that embodied the entire fight that you normally see between developers and security teams. Like it literally is an us versus them. It's not like a pairing or a team thing. It's literally like the security team is telling the developers what to do. Developers are just ignoring them because the security team has no idea what they're talking about, right? And so you end up seeing this fighting and then this, this thing, and, and that's terrible for the business. Like one, your security team's never gonna get their job done. They're, there's just gonna be vulnerabilities everywhere. And then the developers themselves, uh, you know, they're just not being team players and helping the security team do their job too. So you're gonna end up with just a lose-lose situation in that case. It's weird and then, and how that's a, like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. I, I was just going to say that it, it, that seems to be a uh, a running thread through a lot of the episodes when we talk to people. And even when Ken and I discuss things is this relationship between security and development. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, I came up from a development background. And so, like, my empathy for developers and trying to push things on them like has always been skewed when talking to other security professionals, right? When I first got into pen testing, I'd be like, oh man, this is like, uh, this is an easy fix versus a hard fix. And the security professionals look at it and say, well, all I did was change, like I'd put a single tick mark in here and in injection happened, right? So that should be an easy fix. And, and at the time I'm looking at it thinking, okay, you've got hundreds, if not thousands of database calls behind the scenes that you have to change to you know, fix this one security vulnerability, guys, you got to take a step back, right? Um, but that wasn't, it, it, to your point, that's exactly what wasn't happening. Uh, and 
like I did want to rewind a little bit on what you were talking about with uh, you know having developers take over the conversation, right? If they take over the security conversation, you have done your job because you don't have to be there for every every meeting, every you know every standup to inject security into their process. Um, but the, this was also one of the goals that we talked to Jivon about from Segment and their threat modeling process, what they've done and how they've taught developers to threat model is they basically gave them the, the playbook and then they step back, right? And the developers are one that, the ones that take it over and are writing those security stories. And right, if we can all get to that point, I think it would be awesome. But I still see so many organizations that, hey, they don't even think about security until it goes to pen testing, right? And at that point, it's it's way too late, and it, it ends up being super costly. So I, I, like it, it's hard to break that cycle. Um, what is it that you're doing then at you know in your current position that makes that easier? Is it something that you're just you're getting involved in that like two week time frame for requirements, or you know becoming friends with the developers? What what is it that helps there? Yeah, like a little bit of everything. It all just comes down to trust and building relationships. And this is where those soft skills really comes into play, folks. Like you just can't be a dick. Like it has, you have to be nice, but not just nice, but you have to be like actually good at giving advice, right? And, and, and approaching it in such a way where people want to partner with you. So like one of the first things that I did coming in, um, I, I made friends with the right people. So not, I, I don't just go around and be like, Hey, how are you? You know, like you want to have a coffee chat, like literally talk to the staff engineers and the principal engineers and like the architects and be like, what are your exact problems? Where are your, what, what, where does skeletons are in your closet? What keeps you up at night? And I literally document all the things that they've been wanting to tell somebody. Cause it's been like in their head, you're like, Oh, we, I, we have so much tech that in this specific area, or we need to like refactor this or we have to do this and this and this oh this architecture is really bad you know and then i'll document it for them and just and then being there and just be like yes i will be your therapist i will be your security therapist and i'll write down all these things and give you kind of like a feeling of someone's heard me we're going to be working on this it's on someone else's plate now that's kind of like that building trust and and little by little you're talking to these developers and you're like winning them over to the cause of security and giving them great security advice or at least pointing them to like a reference architecture and be like this is what i would use right google this is exactly how i would do it or talking about like content security policy and be like hey i noticed we don't have these headers here's a way of doing that here's the specific syntax that you will need oh and i've documented it on our internal wiki alongside Side, all of the other security requirements for mobile APIs for all the different, you know, and here's a library that I recommend using for hashing, you know, like these are the things that they want to see and be like, oh, thank God, like an, ex an expert has come in now and they've explained to me what I need to do. It makes my job way easier. And now you're building trust little by little. And I haven't been able to talk to all the developers, but I at least talk to the ones that really count and really matter. And everyone knows this. There's always like one or two people on the developer or development teams. It doesn't matter what level they are, but they're always like the go-to people, like guys and girls, right? Everyone knows that they're like, the cream of the crop, right? Like these are the people you want to influence because they have the biggest pull and sway amongst their team members. So those are the people uh, that you as a security person want to win over. And once you do, it gets way, way, way easier. And then you start bringing training in, you start bringing opportunities for them to learn. The next thing that we're doing is um, AWS instructor-led training where we have security engineering training for anyone who wants to do it. And then we also have like development on AWS as just a broad thing, not just a security focused training, but like 
here's training that will help you for your work. Like, come join us. It'll be for free for you. Come on in. Like, the, and just including people and understanding this is their job and they want to be better at it. And we'll, we'll put security in there too. But my main goal is for them to be better at their job in general, whatever it is. And yeah, my, like, I, on the side, I'm like, I want you to do more security for me. You know, but like, <laughs> I, I, first I have to get them to, to understand my cause too. And my cause is their cause. My cause is to, to make their, the business great. And so my my security objectives and my goals for my team should align 100% with the business goals and with the goals of the developers. So the developers should have KPIs and OKRs that say something like, we don't want PHI in our local dev development environments. Great. How can the security team help with that? Well, you know, like, let's talk about security architecture if we want to put stuff in the cloud. Like, how is that actually going to work? Right. And then like helping them through it. But they're the ones leading that conversation. They're the ones bringing those problems to me and to the leadership team and be like, here's what we want to do. The security team's going to be like, you have my 100% backing. I'm so glad you're doing this. Those are the, those are the evidence and the symptoms of great security communication and a great security culture being built from the ground up at any organization. Yeah. And I think like, <clears throat> since you mentioned culture, I think company culture plays a big part in this too. I think. So one of, one of the things I do like about GitHub, uh, where I work, is that half the interviews are pretty tech. I mean, there's a bar you have to meet from a technical standpoint, of course. The other half of that, though, it's about, you know, um, who you are. So there's a lot of, like, leadership principles, um, conversations. There's uh, diversity and inclusion conversations. It's not always comfortable, but it's it's aimed at making sure you're not just a technically, you know, proficient person, but you're a person people want to work with, you know. And I think that goes a long way. Like, just the idea of the company, not just security culture, but the company culture, being focused on, you know, having good communication across teams, like having people that genu genuinely like want the best for the other person on the other side of their screen, uh, the best outcome for the company, the best outcome for the customers that use the product. Um, and I know all that sounds like really hand wavy, but I do think that like company culture starts in like, since we're talking about gatekeeping in a negative light there, are, I think there are positive times where there's gatekeeping, which is, Maybe that's the wrong term, but there is a certain level of being a certain level of comfortability as you enter into a company, uh, like as who you are as a person. And, you know, that that makes a huge difference. And then, of course, reinforcing that every single day at the company. Right. Like through through reviews, uh, you know, through feedback, through honest communication and honest communication is hard. But I, I do think there is that whole, you can do what you, you should continue to, to, like you said, you know, go that route as a security culture. But like, I do think it helps to start somewhere at a company that focuses on that, you know, like why I say that is, you know, I feel like Seth in consulting, you see the difference between how companies like to your point, Naomi, you definitely see antagonistic relationships and you also see very positive relationships and you can almost tell what it's going to be like just by the company that, that you're going to talk to. Like you kind of have a feel already for how it's going to go. And uh, not always, but you know, like there, you, you see both sides. And, and usually I, I would say, I think when we see a positive interactions and positive relationships, it's because that company is a little bit more progressive, a little bit more, um, focused on the human element of their business, 
which is like business, right? So anyway, Seth, I don't, do you have any thoughts here, Seth? Like, I don't um, want to ramble on. No, it's, it's fine. We're, we're all just, you know, rambling at some point, but um, it, I, it amazed me. I, I, I said this in Slack too. It amazes me that we're still having this conversation, right? Like it feels like we've, we've seen this happen, like these competing, I, like it used to be IT and security, right? It was for years. It's development and security seems to be the the latest one. Um, but we have the same kind of silos that these companies are setting up. And I don't know if it comes from culture, if it comes from the top, um, or if it just comes from ego again. But it amazes me that we're still having this conversation because it, it you know, it, it it's something that we did discuss 15, 20 years ago. And we just haven't seemed to learn the lessons that we needed to learn. Um, there's organizations that where it has been broken down and you see how well they do and how they use security as a feature. And it's a part of their DNA. It's a part of the products that they put out. Um, and it's a part of, hey, we're keeping everyone safe, customers, employees, you know, all across the board. Um, and then there's other organizations that just have never seemed to get over that hump. And, you know, don't accept bug reports or whatever, what have you. And that split causes problems and it causes breaches. I, I don't mean that that's the only reason that we have breaches that occur, but it is, I, I, I would be surprised if it didn't directly attribute to some of those things that we see in the news on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah. It really comes in. Oh, this is another great plug. Here you go. Christian Espinosa wrote this awesome book. Uh, it's called The Smartest Person in the Room, and he posits that the root cause of our security issues and the breaches that we're seeing today is the result of lack of emotional intelligence and people skills. And so leading with ego, leading with this whole idea of we need to be the smartest person in the room and uh, we'll listen to no one else, that is the reason why we are losing the fight against cybercrime. It's like the, he literally says it in the like the worst color ever, but you can see that the, the root cause uh, and new solution for cybersecurity. And it's literally be kind and like understand that we are a service for the business. And it's like somewhere on page three, he's like, we are a support industry, right? Like, yeah. and a lot of us forget that we want to be the smartest person in the room. And literally at Vanguard, and um, I will say I, I had a wonderful time learning at Vanguard. I had a lot of great opportunities, met a lot of great people. But one of the takeaways that I had growing up in that space, and I was there for over 12 years. So understanding that space security actually had this grip on it like it literally is security whatever security wanted to do it had to follow it was never the business it was never about what the business wanted i remember being part of conversations and security would be represented right this one or two people here and the rest of the meeting full of people 10 20 people a business folks trying to convince the security team that th this is what they needed. It was literally the opposite. Like I just remember thinking, oh, security. Uh, and so I brought that mindset to my next job, thinking security would always be this important player, right? And like, I was just so flipped around. That was my, that was my normal. I went into my other roles thinking security always had that pull on the business and that we had the final say on certain things. And 
the more I've learned in my career, it's like literally the opposite. <laughs> like it's like the, the business is going to do what it needs to do. Security needs to make sure they're not going to fall flat on their face. Like if the, if, and I use this analogy a lot, if your business is like a rocket ship, right. And you're like on the way to the moon, like your job as a security person is to make sure everyone's buckled in, right. Your blasters aren't going to explode on you. You're going to clear out any asteroids. Hopefully you can do that. Uh, you're going to laser away any aliens, you know, you're going to like help them get to the moon in the safest way possible and that's literally what your job is as a security person you're there to support the business and that, maybe that's not true for like government entities and for research firms and things like that but like in general majority of our private privately owned businesses are going to have security as a support industry yep. not the other way around so i mean along those lines then right you look at the news uh, do, do you feel like we're failing I mean, by any objective measure, yes, we are failing. I think from uh, Forbes, uh, a study done by Forbes, I think by 2025, cybercrime will be a $10.5 trillion industry. And that's only just growing year over year by the trillions, right? I think yeah. um, only 10 years ago, it was still, still in the billions. Uh, and then think about how that uh, leads to our everyday lives. Like, where is that money actually going? Where does money earned by cyber criminals actually go? You think they're going to Walmart and Target? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's actually going to more crime. Like think about uh, human trafficking or funding for illicit wars or for just uh, just like really, really, really bad things like drugs and stuff. And, and it can really hurt real people, like real lives. I think the colonial pipeline, I think, actually killed real people. I think five or six people actually lost their lives because the executives on the colonial pipeline team decided to shut down their systems in order for uh, them to bill people correctly, right? It wasn't it like yeah. their billing systems that were ransomed, right? So they're yeah. like, so we're not going to give anyone free or free gas because we can't track who's buying the gas and we can't charge them for it, whatever. And so people ended up putting gasoline in their cars and open containers and getting into accidents and exploding in like a fiery mess. But like uh, that's the direct result and consequence of decisions made by the uh, executives at companies that don't take security seriously. And think about it uh, as just a loss for humanity and a loss for the world. But things are just going to get worse. And I, I hate to be this whole like, uh, you know, sayer of bad things. Like, like I'm not this negative in real life, I promise you. But I, this is why I fight so hard for getting people in security because we need to train the next generation now because in five years, we're going to still have these problems. I would rather have a whole generation of people with five years of experience helping me out in five years than being in the same exact position looking for people with five years experience that we didn't train and mentor five years earlier because we didn't think they could do the job where I think they can do the job. We just need to train them, give them safe environments to learn and then let them do things, let them help because in five years, we're going to really, really, really need them. It's just yeah, going to get worse. Yeah. It feels like we're at, we're at this tipping point where, where like we, for years we've been saying it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And now colonial pipeline, like ransomware, the fact that all of the, you know, the infrastructure is online and can be targeted like colonial pipeline. Um, yeah. It used to be that these huge, like, Oh, like health data got exposed or breached or target, whatever. Right. Like there was specific kind of small incidents, but it feels like we've got one of those that's happening every couple of days now. And, and we just ignore it. Right. Like I remember when we had Jerry on the podcast, Ken, and he was saying, okay, if a breach happens and no one reports on it, did it really happen? Right. Like, you know, the tree falling in the forest because no one cares anymore. We have breach fatigue yeah. and we have 
cybersecurity fatigue because we're all so tired of it. But um, we also so, don't yeah. see the end result. Like we don't think yeah. stolen data is actually going to affect our real lives. And here's what I'm saying. It is affecting our real lives. It is getting worse and worse. And there's another story out there somewhere in the Midwest in the United States actually had a police station. Their photos of crime scenes were stolen by hackers and the hackers are just are criminals. I'll just use the word criminals. The criminals asked for a ransom to make sure that the pictures wouldn't be exposed online. And these were crim- crime scenes of like dead bodies and, and bloody body parts and all these things. But the police station Decline. They say, no, we don't want to pay $50 million. Uh, go ahead and do whatever you want. But so what did the, 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 the criminals actually went to the victims' families? The people in the crime scene that had been murdered, they went to their, their families and be like, Hey, if you don't pay us money, we're going to release crime scene photos of your loved ones. Right. Like this is affecting real people. This is not just data. This is not just ones and zeros and PII. This is like literally people who can't get a mortgage, people who can't get, you know, whatever, all these things like that are milestones in life. They can't have a good life because of cybercrime and it's just going to get worse. And so we need it. We're having this come to Jesus moment where we're starting to realize it's crossing over into the physical world and it's just going to get worse. I don't want to be 80 years old and experiencing the same exact security incidents that I'm experiencing now. I don't want to get phone notifications when I'm 80 years old, dying on my deathbed in a nursing home, be like, hey, your bank account was just, you know, breached or whatever. And be like, you know, I don't want to have that kind of stress in my life. I want to relax. I want to be like, I'm going to just get easy. Like everything is fine. Everything's fine. You're never going to be able to retire, Naomi. That's what I'm saying. I want to retire. Don't you want to retire? I want to retire. Let's train and mentor the next generation of cybersecurity professionals so we can retire. How about that? That sounds like a plan. Good. Well, uh, we want to be cognizant of your time, right? Like, like I said, we, we just go on and on, right? Um, but uh, yeah, Ken just posted or, or dropped it in there. Cybersecurity gatekeepers. Um, or gatebreakers. The, yeah, we're the, oh, sorry. Gatebreakers. Naming things is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good though, right? Like, uh, it, yeah, it yeah. I can good. give a plug real quick. So, I did just start yeah. a nonprofit. I don't know what I'm doing. I need all the help I can get. Go to cybersecuritygatebreakers.org. You can sign up to help as a volunteer. I need advisors. I need writers. I need people with ideas because the idea is to change the mindset of security managers and leaders. Because a lot of us think that you need five years experience in the CISP. I want to change that mindset because I know it can be done. I've done it. I've been able to hire successfully people with no experience in technology at all. I literally just hire, you know, hopefully hiring an opera singer here. Like I'm literally seeing how little can you know and how much can you contribute? It's kind of like that test in my mind. Like it can be done. I want to convince other high managers that it can be done. This is the nonprofit. The idea is to close the demand gap in cybersecurity because the skills gap is a myth. Yep. Great. Well, go there, check it out. Um, where can people reach out outside of cybersecuritygatekeepers.org? Are there other places that you, they can find you? To Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm involved? on Twitter. I need more cyber. Um, and <laughs> uh, on LinkedIn, Naomi-Buckwalter. That's where you can find okay. me. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, if you're interested, please reach out to Naomi or jump on, you know, Absolute AppSec Slack. We can, we can point you in the right direction as well. Uh, Naomi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, it's been, 
a great conversation, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I know we've all kind of ranted, but that's, that's so good. That's why we're sorry. here. <laughs> oh, thanks, no, Seth. That's, that's it. literally what this podcast is about. Just really it's just about. ranting. Just ranting. Oh, good. That's also good. Getting it out. So it's, <laughs> it's therapeutic, right? It is so this therapeutic. Was right in oh. line with our, our uh, normal episode. Oh, so yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll see everybody online I, again. Thanks for joining and participating. Uh, and yeah, let us know if you have a topic you want to discuss. Thanks.